0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. I just want to take this chance to thank those of you who've taken a minute to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. We really appreciate that and it makes it much easier for new listeners to also find us. If you haven't already left us a review, then please do. And if you have, you can leave us another. Just go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, and then scroll to the bottom of the page and write us a review. It really is as simple as that, and we would be very appreciative of it. So on with today's episode. There's never been a brand in the hairdressing industry that has as much global recognition and heritage attached to it is the name Vidal Sassoon. Brands have to change or they cease to exist. They have to continually evolve and that will always present challenges and opportunities, both creatively and business-wise. So what's it like having the responsibility of being chief executive officer of this most iconic brand and to guide the Sassoon organization as it continues to evolve? My guest on today's podcast is going to tell us she is Debbie Webster, the CEO or Chief Executive Officer of Sassoon Global. In today's podcast, we'll discuss what that responsibility is like, how COVID has impacted on the Sassoon salons and schools business, and how the brand is evolving and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Debbie Webster.
1: Hi, Anthony. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, I am very excited. It's been, uh, it's been, you know, something I've been looking forward to doing for a long time, and you know, it's been a lot happening with the Sassoon brand. and my heritage is Sassoon, and uh, I thought there's uh, no better person to talk to than to go to the top of the pile and to talk to you. So, uh, thank you very much for making the time to uh, to be on the podcast today. So, um, before we we dig into stuff, let's uh, just start with an overview of your background. This is often what I do is I get the guests, to pretty much. Introduce himself. So, w- yep. would you like to, you know, tell us who is Debbie Webster and give us your, you know, sort of two or three minute backstory, and then we can dig into that in a bit more detail afterwards?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm a hairdresser first and foremost. Um, I was born and raised in the UK. I was born actually in Newcastle and moved down to the south of England when I was about twelve, and grew up there and always had a love of hair. I had a mother who was super fashionable. She was always into, you know, the latest styles. And and I think from a very early age, I just had this passion for hair. And a funny story actually is that when I was about five, I saved up all of my pocket money and I bought this wig. And I had, I'm kind of a, you know, I was naturally a, a blonde and I bought this this black wig and Mm. my mother let me wear it to school. (laughs) I (laughs) wore this wig everywhere. And, you know, and I think from that point on, it was just, I knew that hair was part of my DNA. And so I, when I finished school, I went on to do an apprenticeship and my instructor who, my first instructor that I remember really well, actually came from Sassoon. And so my love for Sassoon started at a very early age. Fast forward a few years, I finished my apprenticeship, I opened my own salon. And when I opened the salon, the first thing that I wanted to do was carry the Sassoon product line. And so, you know, I've kind of had that full circle moment, you know, in the job Mm. that I'm in now, having started out with this love for the Sassoon brand. And so I had my salon for a few years, and then the opportunity came for us to move to America. My father was transferred, and, and so we moved to the States. And around that time, Tony and Guy was just moving to America as well. And so moved up to Dallas and started to work for Tony and Guy. And I, I, and I started actually as a receptionist while I was getting my license transferred over and quickly then grew through the Tony and Guy brand and ultimately ended up as president. And was very fortunate to work with the Muscolo family. And, you know, I, I had a, a, a brilliant career. And then this opportunity came to me you know this just presented itself out of the blue and i had an opportunity to come to Sassoon. and honestly it felt like this was the right thing again mm. from my early days and my just my love for for the brand and so i was given the opportunity to take on firstly north america um and then i took on the global ceo brand um position at the end of 2019 so so really difficult timing with COVID. <laughs> Straight so. into a new position and, yeah. and COVID happened. But but that's that's kind of the short version that, that got me to where I am.
0: Okay. Well there's there's lots to dig into there. Um, I always find that intriguing when you know you look at the journey that that you have been on and as a young 16 year old or however old you were when you started your apprenticeship, you could never have dreamt that you could never have dreamt that you would, that, you know, you would be in charge of this brand and not just one of them, but you'd done the same thing at, at uh, Tony guy. That is a, you know, that's an amazing story and, and, you know, totally unique. Um, I suppose it's a stupid question to ask, but did you ever imagine that, that that could happen? Did you ever imagine that you could have this job? Was there, you know, like how does that happen to anybody? It's a, it's amazing. That story.
1: No, I don't think I imagined it, but I do think that even as a child I was very driven. I yeah. always had this belief that if I wanted something badly enough and I focused, I could make it happen. And I don't know where that came from, but I just really from a very young age knew that if I set my sights on something, I could have it. And and so I worked hard. You know, I was one of those people that just whenever an opportunity came to me, I would say yes. You know, very early on in my career, I would I would always be there You know, whether it was seven days a week, you know, I would show up, I would be there. I would always be the first person to offer to help. And I think from that, more opportunities presented themselves.
0: Yeah. What, What about the transition into the business side of it? Because, I mean, the skills of the hairdresser, even the skills of the single salon owner, are very different to the skills of what you then morphed into, you know, over time. I know it didn't happen overnight. Did you get any sort of formal business education?
1: I did. Yes, I did. I mean, one of the things that I did when we first came to Texas, we landed, you know, we were just outside of Houston. We And, and back then, I mean, this was the mid 80s. And Texas wasn't a very cool place. You know, I'd come from London and Brighton mm. and, and, you know, was really into fashion. And the salons that I found at that time in Texas were really not somewhere that I wanted to work. And so I went to college. And so, I, mm. and that's where I got my love for business. And I think I've always had that, you know, I have, I have the right brain, left brain balance. You yeah. know, I love the business side of things, but I love to be able to do it in a creative field. Yeah. So I think, you know, that really helped. And then I got into the the opportunities at Tony and Guy, and it was when Bruno had first moved to America and was really starting to grow um, and build the brand in the States. And so I was very, very fortunate to be there at the very early stages. And so I got a lot of, a lot of my learning was on the job training, you know, with Bruno, with Guy um, and the team. Fantastic. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I always love, you know, these podcast interviews with people who, you know, uh, I interviewed Jason Yates recently who heads up um, John Paul Mitchell Systems, who yeah. I do a lot of work with. And he started as an apprentice in the north of England, you know, sweeping the floor and shampooing here and, and now he too is, is running this, you know, global, you know, in that case, billion dollar plus, yeah. you know, organization. And it's so good to be able to, to talk to young hairdressers and go, do you know what? This industry can create phenomenal opportunities for you if you're prepared to you know, embrace every opportunity, as you said, and work hard, you just never know, yeah. you know, what you could morph into. So, you know, I love stories like that. And the more the more people get to hear them, the better, because I think it gives hairdressing more credibility uh, because yeah. um, I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point in time. There is a, a challenge, you know, getting young people into the industry. And, you know, I know that you can't have everybody having your job. I mean, you know, that is sort of unique uh, and likewise with Jason, but you know, that there are opportunities abound in this industry not just, you know, being a stylist, but if you just want to be a stylist, that's fine too. I've got lots of friends who've been doing it for, you know, 30, 40 years and they still love it today as much as they do, you know, when they first picked up a pair of scissors, uh, which is important. And Sassoon is very much one of those brands. Um, Okay. So um, with the the brand Sassoon, it's, I mean, it's a brand very close to my heart um, and it's a huge legacy. So what I wanted to ask you about was, that must really weigh on you, you know, having the responsibility of steering the ship, so to speak, you know. Um, h- how do you how do you deal with that? What and what's that like knowing that you have that responsibility? I mean, I know before we got on on the call, I asked you if you'd ever met Vidal and you you knew him well and you'd met him a few times and stuff. I mean, I mean, that's just a huge responsibility. It's a huge legacy. So how do you how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, and yes, I do feel the the weight of the responsibility. You know, I think that this is such an iconic brand. And one of the things that, that really excited me about coming to this position was the opportunity to make sure that I could help continue that legacy. You know, I think that, again, for me, I had a passion for for the brand, having met Vidal. And again, like I said, you know, my career kind of started thinking about the, the Sassoon brand. And so I think for me, it was... I think one of the things I think when I first came on board that I thought was very important is the fact that not all of the younger hairdressers even know who Sassoon is, you know, and I think that to me is one of the things that's most important to me in my role is that as we grow this brand, that we connect the younger hairdressers, that we get everyone to really understand the legacy and the heritage and the foundation that Sassoon is for the industry. Because, Mm. You know, when you talk to people that are in their 30s, 40s and, and older, they all know Sassoon, but it's it's the millennials. You know, a lot mm. of them have never heard of the brand. And so for me, that's where I think my role is to make sure that for the brand to continue forward, we've got to educate the younger generation to see the value and the importance that, it, that, that the brand brings. Mm. So I'm excited about it. You know, I think there's so much opportunity. And I think that, again, when you talk to most hairdressers, they have a Sassoon story, yeah. you know. And I think getting those stories, reuniting some of the the community, that's what's important to me. But yeah. yes, absolutely, I do feel the the weight and the responsibility. Um, but that brings about opportunity.
0: Mm. Do Do you have a favorite Vidal story? <laughs> a personal <laughs> one. I'm <in>
1: the st- <laughs> Well, there's so many, but I mean, personally, yeah. I think for me, it was, you know, when, um, obviously, Bruno Masfella was friends with, with Vidal, and over the years, I met him yeah. several times through Vidal, um, through Bruno, but I met him one time at the airport, and we were talking, and I shared my story, and, and I shared how as a young hairdresser, starting out in Eastbourne as an apprentice, mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence to work for Sassoon, so even mm-hmm. though I knew that this was the most important brand. At the time, I didn't think that I was ready and I didn't think I had the confidence. And I told him kind of how my story evolved. And he's like, you didn't have the confidence to come and interview, yet you opened a salon, you know? And that really put it in perspective for me. And I just, I loved his humility. I loved the Mm. way that, you know, to Vidal, everyone was important. You Mm. know, you hear the stories about how the apprentices are the most important people in the company. But yeah. when you meet him you feel that you know mm-hmm. he was such a genuine person and and yeah i mean for me that was my personal connection with him that you know that he took the time to even listen to my story and and share that
0: yeah yeah that's it's special i know when mark talks about him he he tells a story about uh, how Vidal walked into the room at the end of the day and wanted all the assistance you know apprentices gathered together and he said he basically took a deep breath and sat down and amongst them and said, Oh, my favorite time of the day to talk to the, the most important people, you know. And yeah. Mark was one of them at the time. He was a young 16, 17-year-old kid. And, you know, again, you know, likewise now he's the, you know, international creative director of the brand. He could never have imagined it then. Um, okay, so uh w- the beginning of this year, um, you know, COVID has played havoc with, with the world and the Sassoon brand is no different to any other business. It's had a lot of pressure on it. Uh, what happened um, earlier this year that created all that uncertainty uh, around the business in the UK? Can you, can you talk to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, as you said, all businesses really suffered during COVID, Um, And we were no different. And so our UK entity definitely went through some, some challenges, some challenges that we'd inherited, some challenges that actually came about through the closure. And we were put in a position where our owner, who is very, very passionate about the brand, said, you know what, we have to do what we have to do to make sure that we secure the jobs of every employee in the UK, and that's what we did. You know, we, we were forced into an administration and it was something that we didn't take lightly. But again, the, the the end result of that was to make sure that the Sassoon brand and the Sassoon heritage remained strong and was going to be here for years to come. And mm. so it was difficult. You know, this all happened in, in May and it was obviously very public. And, you know, as a brand, we... We want to make sure that everyone knows that, that Sassoon is here to stay. We're, you know, we're very committed to the Sassoon brand and the Sassoon legacy. We came out the other side of the the administration, and again, you know, we're we're very fortunate that we were able to save all those jobs. A lot of businesses didn't, you know, weren't able to sustain yeah. through this. And so I think that, you know, again, it goes back to the. This is such an important brand and such an iconic brand all of our jobs is to, to really make sure that we, we secure that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting times. I mean, as you just alluded to, you know uh, in the UK, it's very difficult at the moment to get any reliable figures. Uh, But I I did a podcast recently with uh, Richard Lambert, who heads up the national hairdressing business federation in the UK. And he said that the best figures that he's seeing at the moment are predicting that, in excess of 7,000 salons have not or will not, you know, see out the end of this year because of COVID. Uh, but yeah. uh, th- that's 7,000 salons that don't have the profile that, that Sassoon has. So obviously, you know, a multinational brand like Sassoon that represents so much of the industry that was always going to pick up, you know, a lot of press on that. So uh, great to hear that Sassoon is here to stay and, uh, you know, back bigger and better than ever uh, and that it has a bright future. That's fantastic. Um You you mentioned the new owners of, of the brand. I mean, you know, I've often alluded to the fact that, you know, my heritage is Sassoon. And I remember when I started there in 1980, uh, and one of the reasons I remember this particular story is that when I started, it was at the same time that uh, Vidal sold the product company and the product company got sold to uh, Richardson Vicks, which then in turn got bought out by Procter and Gamble and over the years, there's different people that, that sort of own different parts of it, you know, from the electricals to the products to the salons and schools to different licensing things. C- can you sort of clarify that, on, you know, a little bit just so that it stops all the, you know, all the rumor? Because that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was I thought if I can come to you and talk to you, then it sort of clarifies to people exactly what's what. Are you able to do
1: that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it is complex. I mean, it, it's very complex. Over the years, it's been sold many times. And, and so we own our private equity group, Regent, who are out of Beverly Hills, own the Salon and Academy division. And so we own that globally. The, the, the product division is still owned by Coty. The, um, the appliances are owned through another entity. I mean, we're, it's very separate. Um, Mm. But our, our mission is the education and the salon business. That's what we own. And that's, you know, when we talk about the Sassoon brand, that's what we're alluding to. Sassoon professional brand is owned by Coty. And so we have the partner salons that um, operated through Coty, but the the pure salons are owned by regions.
0: Right. Got it. Okay. So, Let's talk about the, the, you know, the heritage of the brand and, and uh, uh, h- how difficult it must be to evolve something that has so much history. So, you know, I think of brands like, um, well, Abercrombie & Fitch or Gucci, which have both been around forever. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't realise that. They think they're new brands. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Gucci was, you know, like on the scrap heap, so to speak, and it got reinvented and, and reinvigorated like some of those, you know, big fashion brands have over the years. And, you know, Abercrombie uh, & Fitch has been around for a long time as well. That got completely reinvented. And I always think how brave people must be to, to take a, a, a name, to take a heritage, to take a brand and reinvent it. But there's obviously a point where, well, it's that or it's dead completely. The Sassoon brand has always evolved and changed with the times. Um, but how do you how do you do that? It's like, how do you get the pace of that evolvement? right? You know, what, what, are, what, what are some of the things that, that, you know, that you do or that you have to bear in mind to, you know, to make sure that you're still keeping the, the reputation of the brand and protecting the heritage of the brand and, and what the brand stands for?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, a great question. I think that obviously our brand does have such a strong heritage. And I think that sets the tone But gives us also the latitude to be able to then change. And I think if you always go back to, you think about Vidal, and you think about, you know, he was a disruptor. You know, he was Mm -hmm. he was the first person to 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 bring about change. And I think if we if we stay true to his legacy, he would expect us to evolve and to change. And so yes, it's there is this strong heritage, but is it difficult to kind of steer the ship in a new direction? I don't think so. And I think that we have such a great team. You know, Mark Hayes, our international creative director, again, is not stuck in the past. You know, he understands the the heritage and the, you know, what that brings to the brand. But he's very much focused on on evolution. And, Mm. you know, we're, we're constantly looking at new things that we can do. And the pandemic brought about some opportunities for us. And one of them, and one of the first things for me coming on board with the brand was the opportunity to take education digitally. You know, that was on our radar, that was what we were working towards. And then the pandemic happened, and that gave us an opportunity to to fast forward and, and to bring that to fruition very quickly. And to me, that is a huge part of the future of Sassoon is we're steering the brand in a different digital, you know, education in a digital way. But I think also when you have a strong team and you get the teams buy in, they're, they're more excited about the change. You know, one of the mm-hmm. first things I did was coming on board was sit down with every member of, of staff. I wanted to meet everyone that worked for the company. I wanted to understand what it was they loved about the brand. I wanted to hear, you know, what ideas they had. And everyone is excited about evolution. So you know, I really don't think it's as difficult as as sometimes people think. Um, when you have, again, you have that strong heritage as the foundation, it sets the tone that, that you can evolve.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said the way you described Bidel as a disruptor. That's exactly what he was. And yeah. a lot of people just talk about him as a disruptor in terms of, you know, he changed hair from being, you know, set and backcombed. To to cutting it and cutting shapes into hair and treating yep. it like like a fabric etc, and and yes he he did do that like you know and obviously he was he was you know more than a bit handy with a pair of scissors, but what he really he disrupted business, didn't he? Yes. He just turned it on its head and said, you know, he said women don't need to come to a salon every week anymore, which was horrific for a lot of people, um, yeah. you know, because what that did to their business was, was you know, because they were used to the shampoo and set where a lot of those clients would come once or even twice a week. And all of a sudden he's advocating the cut, cut and blow dry and the client doesn't need to come back for, for four to six weeks or whatever. You can imagine how that upset a lot of people at the time. So um, that that is being a major disruptor, not just in terms of fashion, but in terms of business. And um, uh, yeah, incredible what that did to the industry industry worldwide and is it still you know has impact on salons you know everywhere uh, to this day what 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 direction do you think that the brand should evolve into
1: well there's, there's two different things here because obviously we have the education side of the business and then we have the salon side of the business and i think that both have to evolve um and both are going to evolve slightly differently. I think Mm. education, as I alluded to, is going to take more of a digital um, approach. It has to.
0: Um,
1: And I think, again, going back to the pandemic, it kind of created this new normal for people that previously they weren't really considering education online, but now everyone's comfortable with it. And what it did for us and for other companies is it gave us a massive reach. And suddenly people that, you know, maybe couldn't come to London, to the Academy or to LA, suddenly had access to to Mark and the team. And what it also did is it made people see that our brand is approachable. Because again, for me coming into the brand as an objective outsider, I think that, you know, there was a lot of misperceptions about Sassoon, that people thought that you had to be a certain level to go to Sassoon, or you had to be, you know, that Sassoon was a little bit highbrow or a little bit unreachable which Mm. isn't true. And I think, again, having the pandemic and giving us that opportunity to suddenly showcase our team to people that had never seen Sassoon changed it. You know, Mm. it gave us that opportunity now to attract a different audience to the brand. So I think for the schools, we'll always have you know, an academy. And I think that the London Academy is going to continue to evolve. There's never going to replace the need for that in person education, never. But yeah. you are going to have a hybrid. You know, there's going to be people yeah. that, that can't travel, that want the, the online. So I think in that aspect, you know, we've got a lot of opportunity for growth. In the salons, I think we have again an opportunity to reinvent how we do the salon business. You know, I think the model's changing. And we don't want to be stuck in an old model so we're looking at different ways to reinvent our, our salons we've got a lot of um, new ideas a lot of things that we're going to be launching but again i think salons have to become a hybrid and it can't just be that old traditional salon model where you expect someone to come in work from 9 to 5 you know build a clientele and stay with you for life those mm-hmm. days are gone you know yeah, you've well, got to, so you've got to be in tune with the the generation that you're working with so salons have to become a different model. And, you know, whether it be something where it's more of a, you know, um, a location where we can create this community, where people can coexist, whether they're independent or whether they're they're commissioned, but changing it and making it a more flexible model. And that's mm-hmm. something that we're, we're very focused on. And then another thing that we've just launched and we're just launching is... Our equity group just acquired the brand Club Monaco and so we're just now launching boutiques Sassoon salons inside some of the flagship Club Monaco so Uh it's it's kind of a a, a new model for us it's again Mm -hmm. it's it's something different you know it will attract a different audience it will bring more of a you know a younger audience that not necessarily you know is aware of Sassoon it's going to it's going to make us more um, accessible to them too so Launching our first flag, sh- our first um, boutique in the in the flag- flagship in New York, um, within the next month.
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, so that's hot off the press, isn't it? So, so how, so, how, yeah. how big how big will the salon be and within the store?
1: It's going to be this this location in particular will be about 11, 12 stations, right. so not a big footprint. Mm. Um, but it's it's it, it's right in the center of the store, you know. So it's mm. a store within a store. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be a really cool environment for the team. You know, yeah. everyone's really excited about it. And I think it gives us an opportunity to do things a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: back in the day, I know that Vidal had had some of these locations um, in, in salons, in stores in London. So it's mm. not unique to the brand, but it's something new that we're doing currently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I worked in one in uh, Covent Garden. Uh, that was a Sassoon store within a store, basically, uh, within the sanctuary, Um and so, yeah, that's that's interesting to see. And I know that um, when the brand was owned by Glenby, they toyed with the idea. In fact, I think they opened three or four of them of what they called Sassoon Studios, um, yeah. that were sort of aimed at being like a diffusion line. Is yeah. the salons that you're talking about are they a diffusion line or are they just yeah. exactly the same thing? They just happen to be a store within a store. No, it's
1: it's still the it's still a. A full Sassoon experience. It's not a diffusion. It's just a store within a store. So it's the location that's changing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you see anything for that model as potential for a brand like Sassoon? I, I often talk about. Um, I use Amani as a, as a reference where you've got Amani exchange, you've got Emporio Amani, you've got Giorgio Amani. And, you know, you mentioned Tony Guy before and and they did it to whatever degree with uh, essentials where they tried to bring in a lower price point and stuff. Uh, I don't know how effective it was at Tony and Guy. I'm gathering it wasn't particularly effective with Sassoon because they you know, they didn't roll it out. I think they closed them. Um, Why do you think that, doesn't work or doesn't seem to work in a hairdressing context?
1: Um, it, it's difficult. I think when, when a client loves a brand, they're looking for that level of experience. They're looking for that Sassoon experience. So if you try to do a diffusion brand at a lower price point, you're not really able to give that full Sassoon experience. So I don't really think it works. So no, I mean, we're not looking to, to create anything you know, on a different level. We're just looking at new locations and a new experience within that location.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to, uh, to seeing them. Um, how many of them are planned at the moment? Are they just within the Club Monaco stores?
1: Yes, just within the Club Monaco stores. So we're opening the first one. So this is our, our kind of our um, prototype. Yeah. And from that, then we'll decide which other locations. So, so already some other ones in the works, but I can't really share all of that yet. Sure, um, yeah, no, but some totally other ones, understand. yeah, some others will definitely be in the works.
0: Okay. Do you find, um, you know, being based in in the US uh, and having salons in uh, Canada, the US, uh, obviously the UK and Germany, do you, do you find that you have to treat the brand uh, differently in different countries?
1: I don't, actually. I really don't. I mean, I think that, no, I think the Sasim brand has that same appeal in all of those locations. I mean, there's always going to be little unique differences to the way that you do business in different countries. But no, overall, as a brand, I don't think so. I mean, I think we have such a strong client base in all the locations where we are. um, And we're very fortunate with that. Yeah. So now I don't, I don't really feel the need to, to, to treat them too differently.
0: Yeah. But when you talked before about, um, uh, the salon business model needing to evolve and talking about the possibility of, uh, uh whether it was commission based or alternatives, um, that sort of thing is very, you know, that independent freelance sort of model is is very, very strong in the US um, and growing rapidly. And in the UK as well, I don't know how, you know, in touch with yeah. our figures in the UK, but, you know, apparently something like 64% of hairdressers in the UK are now freelance. And yeah. again, that's growing as well. So do you even look at, you know, things like that potentially as a way to, you know, evolve the brand?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that again, as I said, I think we have to be in tune with what the hairdresser is looking for. And yeah. again, you know, when you think back when I started, hairdressers wanted to get into a salon, they wanted to have that set schedule, they wanted to stay there and build a clientele and have that long career path. And now when you're talking to millennials, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for flexibility. Yeah. You know, a lot of them want to run their own business. And so why would we limit ourselves if we have an opportunity that we can have great talent work in our salons? Why would we limit ourselves to just one model? So no, I mean, I think obviously in the US, the the, um, independent hairdressing model took off much faster Mm. and booth rentals in particular. I'm not a huge fan of the booth rental per se. I'm more a fan of the co-working space. And I think a model, you know, the WeWork office space, again, I think revolutionized, you know, how offices um, operate. And I think think a form of that model really works in hairdressing. And, you know, having an opportunity for a hairdresser to stay with your brand, but Mm. be able to run their own business. You know, hairdressers really want to belong. And what I found... In looking at the the salon suite model and the booth rental model, is people are very isolated, and you know, hairdressers we want to belong. You know, we want mm. to be part of the community where we can share ideas, and I think that really was difficult in that you know in that individual suite model. But more and more, you're seeing the the you know these co-working spaces operating, and they're operating really well. Mm. <clears throat> so for me. I see soon having more of that hybrid model, you know, where we can have that flexibility. And I see that being able to to work in both the US, the UK and Germany.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that's great. I, I mean, I think that's very forward thinking and that, you know, that is the way the industry is going for better or worse. I might say, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm one of those people who look at it and see the, the, you know, the rapid um, growth of those alternative business models. And one thing that's being left out of the equation is the training of a new generation exactly. uh, because it's all, you know, about me, me, me. Um, and uh, and while I get that, it's like, well, who's bringing through and creating opportunities and offering apprenticeships and stuff? So I, I see that presenting a problem further down the line. Do, do you sort of anticipate that as being a challenge? as well.
1: I do and that's why I see this this model that I'm talking about the more of the hybrid model working because I think mm. if you can have people working in a community where they can belong to a, an education company you know where they have opportunity I think that is going to give longevity to their their career. And I think again I think there's there's so much opportunity there's some people that are doing it really well right now. And mm. you know and I think it's it's still in its infancy but I do think having that kind of you know, imagine that in a world where you could have this kind of Sassoon membership, where you Mm. could have access to any Sassoon facility. And I go back to the conversation about the the Sassoon community. When you think about how many people have been trained by Sassoon that have a Sassoon story that left for one reason or another, but it wasn't necessarily they left because they didn't love the brand. Mm. But if they had an opportunity to come back together and be part Mm. of the Sassoon family, but in a different way, I think there's massive, massive opportunity.
0: Yeah. Has, has that, um, to use the expression, has that horse already bolted? Is it, is it too late to do that? Because like you say, there's generations of people that have have come through and then gone out the other end and populated salons all over the world with the, with the Sassoon ethos.
1: No, I don't think it is. I mean, it's not for everyone, but I do think there's a lot of people out there that are still kind of, I mean, I talk to people all the time that have left and, regret it you know it's like they never had what they had when they were with soon so if they had an opportunity to come back on a flexible schedule a couple of days a week or work in one location or another a couple of times a week I think they would welcome it so no I think there's massive opportunity there
0: yeah well I can remember you know for me when I worked there for, for 10 years the thought of life after Sassoon sort of didn't, didn't exist. I mean, it is a very strong cult, you know, like yes. in the nicest possible way, you know. Um, let's let's switch gears. Well, actually one thing there, uh, and this will be an interesting, I've just thought of this off the top of my head. Uh, the Tony and Guy took a different route and they went the franchise model um yeah. And I know that, you know, in the very early days that uh, there was even a little bit of discussion about that. And I'm talking the very early days uh, before I was there in the 70s um, that someone did want to look at the franchise model for Sassoon, but obviously it never happened. Um, do, do you think that that model has legs at all or not?
1: I don't. I mean, I think that I think there's definitely... Room for franchises, I think mm-hmm. there's there's pros and cons to franchises, but for Sassoon, I don't know I don't really see that being the future of the brand. I think there's so many opportunities around the the core that we can develop yeah. that I don't see the need for us to have that. I really, really don't.
0: Okay. Um, when you were at Tony and Guy, were you involved in that side of it, or were you involved more with the product side?
1: No, I was involved in the salon academy, so yes, absolutely, I was involved in the in the franchise model, um, yeah. and this was Tony and Guy USA. So yeah. Tony and Guy UK obviously had a much larger franchise model than the US did, yeah. Um, and yeah, there were there's lessons to be learned for, from both. Um, yeah. But I think again, I think with our brand heritage, I think that it's more important to keep that intact mm. and to grow brand extensions from that.
0: Yeah okay all right um let's talk about retail for a minute because the whole retail environment is changing dramatically and retail was never a big part of Sassoon for many years. And I think probably in the last 10 to 15 years, um, it, it became a much bigger part of their business model. Um, how do you see that evolving with all the changes that are happening now with technology in terms of, you know, Amazon and, and not just Amazon, but just the internet in general, in terms of getting product out there? Is that something that that Sassoon as a, as a brand have embraced and are looking at ways to, you know, to do that within the salon and sort of find a different way, you know, up the mountain, so to speak?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think every brand has to, you know, if you're not evolving, you're not growing, you know? So I think we've constantly got to look at ways that we can give convenience to our customer. And so, and again, going back to the pandemic, I think that really set the scene that people felt, a Lot of people who weren't used to shopping online suddenly had no choice, and now people want that convenience. So I do think all salons have to evolve and have to have a balance um, between the online and the and the in-salon retail. And you know, hairdressers always need to be at the forefront of it, have to be the ones recommending. I don't think we need to ever get to a model where the hairdresser is taken out of the equation, but I do think that there's room to definitely evolve into a model where you have, you know, an e-commerce site where your clients can just come in and, and have their hair cut, but they, get, they have the convenience of being able to get the product delivered to their home. Mm. You know, I think things like that are definitely in our future. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think all of this is still very much in its infancy, but, but we're, we at Sassoon are very much focused on that and how we can evolve with it. And I think, you know, there's people doing things really well. I mean, I love what Michaeline DeJore is doing at, at Paul Mitchell, the way that mm. she took control of Amazon, you know, and stopped the, the diffusion of the of the Paul mm. Mitchell system. You know, I think there's some people that are doing some really, really interesting things right now that are going to help to shape the, the future of the, the retail market.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't stop it. So you have to look at, well, how can we make this work for us? Because consumers want it. Um, and, and, you know, brands, you know, uh, need to find whatever channels to market that there are. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think what what Michelin de Jouer has done to sort of still protect the hairdresser's interest in it um, has, is, is a good example of finding a model
1: that can work for everybody. Um, with, yeah, with- and I think also what she did, which I think is really, really smart, is the fact that she made sure that Amazon couldn't undercut the price of product in the salon you yeah. know, which again, it gives back the control to the salon owners. So yeah, well done, Michael. she's done a great job of yeah. that. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, what are some of the things that you think will be a permanent hangover, for better or worse, uh, of COVID as we go forward with, with all the salons, whether we're talking Germany, Canada, you know, because I think there's been a lot of good things that have come out of COVID, in terms of making salons look at the way that they do business, you know, not just in terms of, you know, hygiene, sanitation, et cetera, but but they've been forced to as we've been touching on retail, re- reassessing uh, working hours, business models, flexibility, um, you know, all those sort of things. What are some of the things that you think that uh, will come out of that for so that are, um, you know, positive or maybe not positive, but that are an inevitable change uh, that COVID have caused?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's it's caused us to look at our business differently. I think everyone's had to do that. And, and yes, there's been a lot of positives that have come out of it. I think initially going into COVID, I think hairdressers were given a bad rap, you know, because we've always been so focused on sanitation, you know, and, and that wasn't something that was readily known by, by the, the general public. And so I think We've always had that. That's always been a strength for us is making sure that our, our salons are safe and, and, and sanitary. But I think what we've learned to do is work more efficiently. And I think there's, there's changes, you know, where even at the front desk, you know, having cashless front desks, mm. having, you know, more of a, um, a call center. You know, this is something that we're working on currently is having a call center versus having, you know, as many receptionists in every location so that we can yeah. make it more efficient. And again, I think COVID has given us that opportunity because clients have had to experience the salon differently. And they're used to that now. They're used to not having, you know, some of the things that we traditionally had in our locations. Mm -hmm. COVID gave us an opportunity to look at our business differently and create more efficiency. And, you know, we looked at schedules where historically everyone worked a five-day schedule. During COVID, we were able to really consolidate that and give people more flexibility. And I think that's something that will continue. You know, I think there's been a lot of um, positives that have come out of COVID that will will definitely continue.
0: Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there has been some positives come out of it. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you about is that I, I work a lot in different countries. And one of the things when I started working a lot in the States was that Even in different states, they have completely different laws. And so, for example, I know in California, with the way you pay people got sort of turned on its head, you know, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago now. Um, And so what I wanted to ask you about is you have this sort of unique advantage of you have salons in the UK, salons in Canada, salons in Germany, salons in in, uh, America, um, and different ways of paying people. So as someone who sees the inside of that in different ways of doing things, what works best from the salon owner's point of view? And maybe what works best from the employee's point of view? Is there a model that you sort of go, gosh, I wish we could just pay everyone this way?
1: Really good question. No. <laughs> that's okay. the good answer. No. We haven't found any one model that I think works best um, in our, in all locations. Mm-hmm. Our Models, other than California, we're we're pretty consistent with how we pay um, in the UK, the US and and Canada um, and Germany. But California definitely is a different beast. And I think the way that the the California pay structure was changed did a lot of damage to the industry and forced more people into the booth rental Mm -hmm. independent model um, because you were no longer allowed to pay commission. And so it became very, cost prohibitive for salon owners. And it it really forced a lot of people out of business. So I would definitely advocate not to pay the way that we pay in California. Um, I think having some kind of a a commission model that's very transparent to the employee is the key. And that's something that also that was one of the things for me coming into the Sassoon brand that I wanted to change because the commission model was very complex. Mm -hmm. And for a hairdresser to be able to figure out what they were making was almost impossible. So that's something that we've been really focused on is making those changes. We made them in the US um, just prior to COVID. We're now making them in the UK. So it's something that we're looking at um, worldwide, again, just to make it simple for the hairdresser to know how they can make more money. And that's important to us. You know, We want them to to have a, a long career with us and we want them to see an opportunity of growth. And Mm. so I think, you know, whatever pay structure you have, it has to be transparent at the employee level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, these days, more than ever, with with A, the technology people have and just each generation have a different, you know, take on a work-life balance, et cetera. And so, yeah, all of that becomes more important. Um, Is there any sort of unique advantages or disadvantages in different countries Do you look at things that happen in Germany, for example, and go, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. We must integrate that into the US or vice versa. Are there there any things that stand out?
1: No, I mean, I think we've always been a a company where best practices are shared globally. So if it is something that can work, we definitely want to, you know, to mirror that. And it's something that we're very focused on. You know, we, we have weekly calls with our the head of our German division, um, the head of the UK division and, and the US. And we're always sharing those best, best practices and, and, and they all do translate into the different markets. Yeah. So nothing that I would say that any one country can do specifically that we can't in yeah. America or um, Germany. No, I think we've been very blessed that we've been able to translate everything from the different countries.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. With, you know, hairdressing being such a a youth orientated uh, career path, I don't know what the average age of a hairdresser is, but I'm going to imagine it's somewhere in the mid to late 20s. Um, what uh, differences do you see as being someone like me who's been in the industry a long time? What, what sort of differences do you see with, with Gen Z today, with the new intake of, you know, employees, apprentices, trainees, uh, you know, whatever we're going to call them? Uh, what, what what are the, the differences? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities that you see with Gen Z?
1: So much, you know, I, and that's something that I'm, I'm always studying. I think that Again, you've got to know what each generation, what's important to them to, to be relevant and to be able to maintain your, your, your team. And I think, again, when I go back to what was important when I started my career, is not important to, you know, a, a Gen Z, a Gen Y, you know, it's, it's not important, it's changed. Mm. And I think now people, you know, when you, when you look at the, the younger generation, they want everything very quickly. They want to be able to excel very quickly and they want to have, they want to add value. You know, they have a different perspective on on what they're looking for from their career. And I think, you know, having worked in cosmetology schools too in the the States and interviewing graduates, their values are different. You know, they they really, they're, they're looking for things that, again, areas that they can add value. They're definitely more health conscious they're looking for things that are sustainable you know so having all of that in your brand i think is very important and you know and i think you've just got to you've got to constantly listen to what it is that the, the younger generation are looking for. And you've got to find ways to make that fit. They definitely want flexibility. Yeah. You know, it's not something that they're looking to come on board and, and necessarily do a, an apprenticeship five days a week, um, you know, and commit to a, a long-term career. And again, you know, Instagram has changed the way that a lot of our new hairdressers function and, you get a lot of hairdressers that come out of, out of cosmetology school in America or they graduate um, from their apprentice program in the UK or, or Germany, and they've already built this following on Instagram and they already have mm. a, a client base and they want it now. Yeah. But what I think the opportunity from that is, again, in talking to salon owners, is a lot of the younger hairdressers haven't placed the value on learning very strong foundational education. And that's where I think we can come in. And one of the things that we launched, again, you know, the the blessing of the pandemic was we had the time to really put together this online curriculum for schools and for salon owners and giving them access to the world of Sassoon to where they can train the future generation in that core fundamental hairdressing. And the more hairdressers or the more owners I talk to, the more I, I, I see there's such a, a need for that now, because it kind of skipped a generation. YouTube mm. kind of became the, the, you know, their education, yeah. which isn't sustainable. And so mm. now we're finding a lot of people are coming back. They need the ABCs. They need to learn that strong foundation to be able to, to grow and sustain their career. So for me, I think that's the opportunity that comes from this generation.
0: Yeah. It, it's interesting, you know, looking at how strong color is. When um, yeah. we talk about the technical side of hairdressing uh, for this generation, that there's a whole generation of kids that you only need to scroll through Instagram and you see incredible color work uh, everywhere, all over the world. There's so much good color work, but I, I'm forever having salon owners say to me, Anthony, I just can't find young people who can cut hair. And not everyone yeah. wants long hair and beachy waves and balayage, you know. And like everything, it, it's a it's a trend. Okay, it's been a long trend, but like everything, it will it will change. And so, you know, I'm always a great advocate, as I know Marcus, for you know really um, still hammering away at the the cutting ABC, you know, yeah. side of your your fundamentals. Because without that, you know, where are you, so to speak?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've had a huge um, outreach because what we did during lockdown is we offered our curriculum to all schools and salons complimentary for six weeks. Yeah. And again, it gave an opportunity for people that had never seen Sassoon so or seen the, the strong foundation of our ABCs. And that has, has, has really given us an opportunity to, to grow and become that educator for schools and to become the, like I say, the apprentice in salon training. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean I think it's again the pandemic gave us that opportunity.
0: Yeah. I know just before the pandemic, I think it was just before, the LA Academy uh yeah. closed and it did it merge with the LA salon or or have I read that wrong?
1: So it was during the the it was during the pandemic. It was, it was actually right. yeah, it was last December that we actually closed Santa Monica. Yeah and So we've merged, we have all of our education centers in North America are now based out of the salons. But our goal is, as we're now coming back out of the pandemic, our goal is to open an academy in Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're doing education on a Sunday, Monday out of the Beverly Hills salon, but the next phase will be a Beverly Hills Academy.
0: Oh, fantastic! Okay, you heard it. Here, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so, look, we, we need to sort of start sort of wrapping up a little bit. But I wanted to ask you a few questions about yourself, um, if you don't mind. What What are your What is your biggest strength?
1: I think I'm a people person. You know, I mm-hmm. think leadership is about people, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's always been my strength is being able to, to bring people together and to get people to trust me, you know, yeah. and I think as a leader, I think that's, that's very important.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. What's the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome at Sassoon or elsewhere?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm um, I think the, the biggest hurdle really for me was moving to America. You know, I think that was a huge, huge change. It was a huge culture change for me because, again, it was in the late 80s and hairdressing that I'd left in London and Brighton was very different to the hairdressing back then in Texas. It's evolved now to where globally, you know, hairdressing is, you know, pretty much the same globally. But back Mm. then it wasn't. And that was the biggest hurdle for me was really coming to America and then as soon as I, I, I saw the opportunity that Tony and Guy was opening in Dallas, I, fut- uh, you know, I suddenly found my people again. It was like I suddenly belonged where right. I did not when I first landed in Texas. So I think in my whole career, that's been probably my biggest hurdle was initially assimilating to Texas.
0: Yeah, well, it's, we speak the same language. But there's a lot of things that are different, you know, without a doubt. And, yeah. and that cultural shift, you know, can take a little bit of getting your head around, can't it? And yeah. even within the United States, I mean, you know, New York is New York. It's not middle America and it's not L.A. It's almost like different countries within the one, you know, sort of continent. What, yeah. what, um, what drives you?
1: I think that I have such a passion for this industry and, and wanting to make sure that the next generation have the opportunities that I have. And mm. I think to me, that's what drives me is making sure that, you know, that we continue this. And so I, I, you know, I've worked very hard my whole career and I, I, I wanna make sure that that needs to be my legacy, that I've made some form of a difference in helping to carry forward the, the opportunities for the next generation.
0: Mm. Okay, well, you definitely are. Um, I've got a couple of last questions there. One of them is not necessarily about hairdressing, but what's the biggest lesson that you've learnt in life?
1: I think to believe in yourself. You know, I think when you're young, again, when I go back to that conversation that I I shared with Vidal, I didn't have the confidence to think that I belonged at Sassoon. yeah and looking back now you know as i've evolved and as i've grown and i've you know my confidence has developed yeah i you know imagine if i'd had that confidence back then what i could have done so i yeah. think for any young person that is the number one thing that i say is believe in yourself yeah. you know if you want something badly enough you can make it happen you've just got to want it yeah.
0: Um, what What do you mean? Imagine what you could have done. You've done it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what else could you do? Run for president? Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't rule anything out. Yeah. Okay. No.
1: I mean, I mean, if I'd had the confidence, I would have moved up yeah. to London, and I would have worked for Vidal. You know. So there's yeah. probably some things that I missed out on. Yes, my career has been fantastic, and I, I don't. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't change it. But but again, if I would had confidence when I was younger, I think it may have changed things slightly
0: sure do you, do you when was the last time you picked up a pair of scissors and did a haircut
1: Probably, <laughs> probably two years ago, no, actually, okay. it was during the pandemic. I had to cut my husband's hair so right. no, okay. absolutely absolutely, yeah. and I used to always cut his hair, but yeah, my yeah. nephew is now a hairdresser, and my niece also just graduated and got her license and so I've passed Gordon on to to the new generation, yeah.
0: Oh, good on you. Okay. What, what do you wish you were better at?
1: Um, I wish I was better at being able to turn off, you know, because I'm someone who's very driven. Mm-hmm. I tend to work 24 seven and I need more of the, the balance, you know, because I definitely tend to throw myself into everything fully. So I, there's definitely, I need to learn to, to balance more and I need to take more time to, you know, not work.
0: Mm. Okay. I think that's a lesson a lot of people can take on board. Uh, last thing, and I promise it'll be the last thing, is what's the most important thing that you've learned about leadership? I mean, you've worked in incredibly, you know, senior roles, leading big teams, building big teams. You've worked with some real icons in the industry that are great leaders in their own right. What 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 is it that makes Great leaders. What have you learned about leadership?
1: No, I have. I've been very fortunate. I've worked with some very great leaders and, I, and I've, I've seen some not so great leaders. And I, you know, I've had the opportunity to really model myself on those that I felt that did it well. And for me, it goes back to that connecting with your team. It goes back to what I was saying about, about Vidal. It goes back to what I was saying about Bruno. You have to connect with your team because if you don't, they're not gonna follow you, you know? And I see a lot of people that tend to lead from the ivory tower, they lead from the top down. Mm. I don't do that, you know? I'm very much a hands-on leader, I'm a people person, and I absolutely want to meet with every single person in the organization, I wanna know what they do. I wanna do every job so that I fully understand it. Mm. And I'm not gonna ask them to do something I wouldn't do myself. And by doing that, and by leading that way, I've built trust in the teams that I'm leading. And so now I find that, you know, I can, I can go into a difficult situation and I can get people to, to do the right thing because they trust in me. Mm. So mm. I think investing in your people is what makes you a strong leader. Yeah. You know, I don't think you lead by title. You don't lead by ego. You, you lead by doing, you know, and yeah. I think that's what I've, I've learned from some of the great people that, I, that I've worked with. Leave the ego at the door.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you shouldn't have to tell people what your title is.
0: Mm. Definitely, definitely. Well, they're fantastic words to wrap up with. So um, where can people connect with you on Instagram or social media channels? Or where where would you like to direct people, anyone who's interested in uh, finding out more about you or getting in contact with you on whatever level?
1: So always open to people emailing me. They can reach me at debbie.webster at sassoonglobal.com d-e-b-b-i-e um, dot webster at um, also at any of our Sassoon academy official instagram if they de- if um, dm through the instagram account that will get to me um, but yeah I would say email is probably the, the the best form
0: most direct way yeah it's for me too yeah. Okay. Well, look, I'll put those links on the uh, Grow My Salon Business uh, show notes for today's uh, podcast. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast with Debbie Webster and have enjoyed it, then please do me a favor, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Uh, I read every one of them and I love getting your feedback. So to wrap up, Debbie Webster, CEO of Sassoon Global. Thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast
1: thank you so much it was an honor to be with you Anthony I really enjoyed it
0: no it's been great thank you for giving us your time